This morning's scripture passage is found in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 30, and chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, here he is, or there he is. Do not go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It, will, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said... In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Good morning. It's great to be here with you. And this week we've had the benefit of having our family here with us. So um, thank you all who are praying for this service and for this sermon. I appreciate it. Um, Admittedly, I don't pray as much as I should for things I'm going to do. Um, And that's that's unfortunately generally true of, of my life. This parable this morning speaks to me as much as it does to you. It has been said that the life of an Eastern woman... Uh, is defined by waiting. She waits to grow up. She waits to become of marriageable age. She waits to get married. She then waits to have her first son, even though she may have other daughters first. She then waits for that son to grow up. She waits for that son to become married. And then she waits, because he's her favorite grandchild, for him if her first son is dead, but for one of them to take care of her in her old age as she waits uh, to die. Today we will look at the parable of the widow, the widow who waited for an unjust judge to take care of her. 
as was read, the, the context of this parable is really this discourse of Jesus and, and others, this parable, and then afterwards another parable, and then the story of the rich young ruler. And Luke ties them all together around the subject of the coming of the, of the Son of Man in the kingdom of God. The coming of the Son of Man. Um, he says in verse 22, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. And then in verse 8 of chapter 18, if you look at that, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So this parable is part of that, of that uh, topic, Jesus discussing when the Son of Man would come, what would be the circumstances um, and what, how, should we, uh, how should we act as we wait for him? Now, the Son of Man is going to come and, you know, he says the kingdom of God is already here. It's among you. But the Son of Man will bring to completion, to fulfillment, uh, two particularly great things. One is the judgment of the unrighteous. He will bring that to an end. He will complete the judgment of the unrighteous and he will complete the vindication of the righteous. And so, let's look at the context and, and, and learn from this. Verses 22 and 23, real briefly. The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the sons of man, one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. One of the first things we see that he tells his disciples is that they will have to wait for the Son of Man to come. They will desire to see one of his days. He will be gone. He will be away. And they will wait. And they will look and they will not see one of his days. That day, the day, as is spoken of in, uh, both in the prophets of the Old Testament and referred to by the writers of the New Testament. And they shouldn't be seeking him here or there or those who claim to be Christ. And many have come and probably many more will come because he says his coming will be so obvious. It will be as lightning. In verse 24, I'm sorry, yeah, 24, he says, For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to, to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. Now I was always thinking that the day He comes will be as lightning. But Luke is saying, recording Jesus' words, that the Son of Man will be as lightning. As lightning lights up the sky from one end to the other. We don't have many thunderstorms in the Middle East where we live in Jordan, uh, very rarely. So we love to come back to Boise in mid-June and experience some thunderstorms. And there was one shortly after we got here in the evening. The dark clouds rolled in. The winds blew. The rain came down hard. And then there was that calm, uh, calmness and the lightning went off. And we were in our backyard watching it, and then another one went off. And, you know, we counted when the thunder would come in and tried to estimate how far that was. And, and all the flashes of lightning 
were spectacular. They all were magnificent. They all were brilliant. But the largest one was just awesome. And our neighbors were in their backyard saying, This is awesome! Wow! It was great. And it did light up the sky from the northeast to the southwest. Almost the full range of our vision. The coming of the Son of Man will be that obvious, will be that spectacular, that brilliant, that magnificent. And so from the disciples' day, when Jesus ascended, to our day, there has been a long delay. There has been a long delay, and some people call this parousia delay, parousia coming uh, delay. We are in this intermediate period of waiting But the question arises from Jesus' teachings, do we desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man? Do we live for that day? Are we waiting for His day to come? Really, are we waiting for Him? Is He the hope of our life? Let's continue on as we think about that and think about what will it be like until he comes. And as was read earlier, but let's review it. Verse 25. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. See, he's giving us two historic examples in this period of waiting for the culmination of God's judgment on the unrighteous and His salvation for the righteous, there will be widespread unrighteousness. Widespread unrighteousness. Noah waited, what, 40 years to build the ark as he was building, and Peter says he was a preacher of righteousness, but who heeded his voice, his message? Only his family. People, as Genesis tells us, were very wicked. Every intention of the thought of man's hearts was only evil continually. And what about Lot, Jesus says? What about his day? Peter tells us that Lot was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, that he tormented his righteous soul. Now it's interesting to consider Lot as a righteous man. He was. Scripture calls him a righteous man. He tormented his righteous soul in living in the city of Sodom. But people, Jesus says, were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage, buying and selling, planting and harvesting. Life goes on. There's no time for God or now for Jesus. So who really cares for righteousness? That is what Jesus says it's going to be like until he comes. Widespread unrighteousness. Which makes our waiting seem strange. Because we're not going with the flow. 
of an unrighteous world. Now, Boise is not much different than our man Jordan in respect to these things. Uh, Muslims believe Jesus is coming back and will set everything right and will identify true Muslims and they'll be saved. But Jesus is coming and he fits into their paradigm. Here in, uh, in Idaho, I believe a lot of people think Jesus is coming back and he'll take care of everything when he comes. Um, we went to the Weezer Fiddler contest and that was a great experience. Uh, very good music. And there was a good band, uh, kind of go uh, blue, bluegrass gospel band, and they were very good. But they sang one song, it was Jesus Hold My Hand, and the next song was Rolling in My Sweet Baby's Arms. And I thought, okay. That kind, of, that kind of wraps up the view of Jesus. Jesus helped me out of my troubles, helped me to get out of it, to be safe and comfortable and have fun, and then I'll go do what I want. Are you waiting for Jesus to come, and is He your hope in life? Um, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells us, the times and seasons, brothers, concerning them, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief for you are all children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Are we awake to the reality of Jesus' second coming? Are we eagerly waiting for that day? Is His coming our greatest hope? Are we convinced that He will surely save His people and He will swiftly judge the unrighteous? Does this coming of His day motivate you, inspire you in life now? Does it bring purpose to your existence on this earth? If so, if His coming is our greatest hope, I believe then this parable will make a lot more sense. And Jesus is telling us how to wait. What to do while we're waiting. And that is to pray. To pray. So let's look at this parable. Luke gives us the purpose statement for this parable. And I thank God he did that because I don't have to figure this one out um, like the other parables. He says in verse 1, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Always to pray and not lose heart. Let's read the parable. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. 
This widow kept coming to the unjust judge, kept coming and kept asking for justice against her adversary. The idea of giving justice is seen four times here, two times in the parable itself and then two times in Jesus' explanation. Giving justice means to grant someone what is rightfully theirs and thus proving detractors and opponents wrong. Uh, There's two sides to justice, isn't there? There's the side of vengeance, of retribution, of making the, the offender pay. And then there's the other side of of vindication, um, of giving the right to the offended. And the way it's used here, it's looking more at that second use, vindication. The widow isn't going to the judge and saying, you know, put that guy, put that dirty rat in jail, give, you know, harm him. Hurt. She's saying, I need help. I need you to give me what's rightfully mine. And so she went to an unjust judge. Some translations actually do translate this term vindicate instead of give justice. But the judge did not care about the law. If he did, he might have known Exodus 22. And we're not sure he was a Jewish judge here or another kind of um, legal uh, overseer. But Exodus 22, 22 to 24 says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and children fatherless. God himself is the only one who can uphold both sides of justice. He loves and protects and has mercy on the oppressed and the needy, the widows and the orphans. He is also just enough to punish and to pour out his wrath on wrongdoers. And this judge cared nothing about God or his law. But God does it because that is who he is. Uh, Clyde Snodgrass says about widows in Jesus' day that they were often left with no means of support. If her husband left an estate, she did not inherit it, although provision for her upkeep would be made. If she remained in her husband's family, she had an inferior, almost servile position. If she returned to her family, the money exchanged at the wedding had to be given back. Widows were so victimized that they were often sold as slaves for debt. And this widow was being mistreated, whether by her own family or her husband's family. She had an adversary who was supposed to be granting to her her rights, but he was not. She wasn't being treated fair. So she cries out for vindication. She cries out that her cause would be upheld that she would be protected from the wrongdoer, that, uh, that, yeah, she would be shown to be in the right by asking. She wasn't crying out for vengeance. Uh, did she give up asking? No. Giving up means losing, or losing heart means giving up. But on the other hand, did she demand now Give me my right now. No. 
And did she avenge her adversary? No. Why not? Well, it seems that Jesus is telling us this lady was doing what the judge was not. She feared God and she respected man. She knew that God was on her side. And that is the point. God is for us while we wait. He wants us to pray and be patient for the Son of Man to come. There are many teachings of Jesus on prayer. And we're going to talk about Luke 11, where God is so good, He gives to those who persist in prayer. Uh, But here it's a little different. Um, Jesus is teaching us not to lose heart until He comes. To be patient until that day. In other words, we are to pray with respect to His coming. When the satisfaction of our needs will be attained. Um, And that raises uh, where our hope is and what our hope is. And not only will we be vindicated when Jesus comes, our gospel will be vindicated. It will be shown to be right and it will be unfolded that this was actually the true, the true message that we believed and the truth. So I want to uh, take a few minutes and talk about three promises that are in the gospel that Jesus gave us that ought to help orient us while we wait and help motivate our prayers and orient us to pray towards His coming. One is the the promise of a glorious body. The second is the promise of a glorious place. And the third is the promise of a glorious people. Philippians 3.20 But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. I don't know about you, but my body is pretty much my most immediate concern. You know, this morning I had a dry throat and I was a little nervous. So my wife went and got me some water. And, you know, you want your physical needs, your, your body is pretty much your most immediate concern. And sometimes our bodies break down. And we know that sickness and ultimately death is inevitable. It's part of the curse. But you see, this promise of a glorious body helps us put that in perspective. Because the one who has the power to transform these lowly bodies to be like his glorious body can certainly sustain us until that day or until it's our time to go. And in the meantime, if we are healed, praise God, he gave us energy, healing, we can be active for his glory and his kingdom towards that day. And if not, if not we can still look forward and hope to the total healing that is certainly ours in Jesus Christ. And we can pray for His will to be done through us and through others while we wait. Most of us know Claude Levitt, or knew Claude Levitt, a great inspiration for me personally. In his, he was a missionary in Suriname for 30-some years, Uh, In his last days when he was weakened by stroke and uh, his mind was dulled by that, he spent his days praying 
And as, as Les Goodrich mentioned to me the other day, reminded me, when you would go visit Claude, it's as if you would step into a fellowship time with the Lord Jesus Christ. He would invite you in. And then when you had to leave, you had the sense that Claude would carry on. A faithful man whose eyes were on his hope in the Lord's return and all those promises that would be fulfilled. This is what Jesus wants us to be praying for. Paul's words about Timothy, he says, widows, if they are truly widows, they have set their hope in God and they continue in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent indulgent is dead even while she lives. 1 Timothy 5, 3-6 You see, we don't need to spend our later years or our waiting years in self-indulgence. That's not what we're designed for in Christ. We're designed to commune with the Father and, and live and raise uh, those things that He has promised that are all about Christ and His kingdom and live for that. A glorious place John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I love this. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I mean, have I ever lied or deceived or misspoken to you? But if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and take you to myself. This gives us great perspective on our earthly dwellings, doesn't it? on how much of a priority they are. We ought to be living on this earth in our homes and with our material things in light of eternity with the goal of going to that home. And that ought to instruct how we use things, what we do with our material possessions. And the last promise that is a certain promise, a certain hope, is the glorious people of God Revelation 5, 8-10 And when he, the Lamb, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Who has ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation? Jesus Christ. Who has made them a kingdom of priests to our God? Jesus. And who will make them to reign upon the earth? Jesus, the Son of Man, the very one who's telling us this parable. Until the Son of Man comes, pray. Fix your hope and your sight on Him. He has something much larger than the world you live in and than the life you are living. And so are these things not motivation for us to wait and pray and work for His goals and give to His promises? Melissa and I find these things, the more that they sink into our hearts, they become stronger and stronger motivation to continue to pray, continue to proclaim His kingdom and His name, 
his name above every name. Well, why should we pray and not lose heart while we wait? Why? And this is the weight of the parable. Why? In verses 6 through 8, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is saying, be like the widow because God will vindicate his elect. And the argument is light versus heavy. Here's a human judge, unjust, no, no care for God, no fear of God, no respect of man. And then there's God. There's God. The unrighteous just judge was unjust, uncaring, unrighteous. He didn't want to do this until he had some personal inconvenience and a little threat on his position. This term for, he uses um, back up in verse 5. She keeps bothering me. I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down. That's literally to blacken the eye or to blacken the face. And some have thought, well, she was going to be physically violent with that judge. But that doesn't, that doesn't really fit her demeanor as Jesus describes it. But to blacken the face, and a few um, people bring this out, and we also have this in Arabic, is really to bring shame and dishonor on someone. Now, they may not care about other people, but they care about themselves. They care about their position, their prestige, and their power. And this, this old widow kept coming and coming, and he, he was becoming dishonored by this. And that's what moves him. But God will never be moved by dishonor, by shame. God is just. He is completely loving and merciful and kind. And His, his uh, character will shine like the sun, glorious. He will, he will vindicate His elect because He is who He is. Because when he makes a promise, he always fulfills it. And because even now, he's telling us we need to wait. And he's telling us what the end of our waiting will be. And he will do it. And he is patient and merciful. He will save the righteous. And he is just and uh, righteous. He will judge the unrighteous. He is, he has all power. So we need Him. We need to bring all our requests, all our struggles, all our supplications to Him, but with a view towards the fulfillment and the complete vindication of all that we hope for in Him. The second part of this, not only is God just, He will do it, Jesus says, but we are His elect. The widow was nobody to the judge. We are in a much more advantageous position than this widow. You know, Ephesians 1, 
It says that blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to his purpose and will. We have a, 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 a unique relationship with the Most High God because He has chosen us. And the characteristic here, Jesus says, is that His elect cry to Him day and night. That's what characterizes His elect people. Much as a, an infant cries for her mother because the mother will respond, she will take care of that infant. There is a close tie between the two. Very intimate relationship is the return of Christ, brothers and sisters, as the elect of God, is the return of Christ our heart cry? Is our vindication as the children of God our plea? Is the vindication of the gospel claims our case before God? Oh God, help me to endure what I'm going through and to serve you because you have promised eternal life. You have promised a glorious body. You have promised a glorious place. And you have promised that we are part of a glorious people. Worldwide, international people. And lastly, Jesus says, God will vindicate speedily when he comes. He will vindicate speedily. I tell you in verse 8, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Judgment will be quick and swift when Jesus comes. Just as in the days of Noah, people were, were living their unrighteous lives without thought of God. When Noah went in the ark, judgment came swiftly. The same with Lot. How many years did he live in Sodom? When the angel of the Lord came to visit him and told him to flee, judgment came the next morning. It will be swift when it comes. It will be swift when it comes. See, God is patient with us, says in verse 7. Will he delay? Will he be patient long over them? The, it's really one question in verse 7. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night, uh, given that he is patient with them? We think we are being patient with God. God is being patient with us. He has a purpose and a plan, just like we sang about, that he is bringing to culmination. And when he brings justice, do you think he will overlook your cause in Jesus Christ? If you are in Christ and have all the rights that he has granted to you by his justice, his act of mercy in fulfilling complete justice for you, do you think that God would not fulfill justice for you in Jesus Christ when He comes? Certainly He will. Of course He will, Jesus is saying. Of course He will. He will vindicate us speedily, His elect, when He comes. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the creation waits with eager longing 
for the revealing of the sons of God. Why should we keep on praying the promises while we wait for the Son of Man? Because God is merciful and patient with His elect. Our life, our destiny depends on the character of God. He will do what He has said because He is God. But will Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, find faith? Will He find us faithful when He comes? Will He find our hearts longing for Him or longing for other things? I ask the worship team to come forward as I close in prayer. Our Father, how good You are, how great You are, how merciful, how true. If only, Lord, we would be more like Jesus and be completely yielded to Him and His Word and His plan for our lives. Lord, teach us. Be patient. You are patient with us. We thank You for that. May we, Lord, uh, have a clearer vision of what is coming. May we long for the lightning storm. And may we be faithful until that day. Amen.